0: We're gonna talk about something very serious this morning, everybody, very serious. This morning's open up, this morning's learning is a topic that I alluded to last night, and um, just so everybody knows, I do my best teaching, um, and and I kinda want this to be my best teaching, so I think you do too, if everybody could could step in. When I see people out in the periphery, on the margins, sitting all the way far away, I feel, why are you coffee clutching all the way in the back? So if there's anything going on back there, please come on in um, as close as you can. That'll be excellent. Um, The serious nature of the Exodus narrative is underscored by how powerfully instructive it has been for humanity for 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, Not only Jews, but the entire world, at least we can say the Western world, has been in some way, shape, or form connected to the Exodus narrative because it gives us hope, it gives us a sense of the possibility of tyrants being toppled, even democratically elected, potentially, who knows? (laughs) Right? Tyrants, as the organization has said, we've been battling tyrants for generations, right? It's nothing new for us as a people but what's also profoundly true about the Torah text is that although it is absolutely a political document anybody that would say that the Torah is not political is just not reading Torah correctly. Torah is political. Torah has a, a, an opinion about how leaders should lead, how followers should follow, how a society can and should be just. There's no doubt that Torah is political and those who would say that rabbis should not speak from the pulpit about politics are essentially saying they shouldn't speak Torah. What's also true is that, at least my experience has been that, depending on where you are politically, if the rabbi says something that you politically agree with, then you say the rabbi should speak Torah. And if you don't, then you say rabbi should keep politics out of the pulpit. But be that as it may, it's being recorded, right? It's also being recorded. (laughs) Because I so often want to say, especially in the last ten years, as I've been a rabbi and I'm a politi- and deeply liberal and progressive, and and many people that are quite intimate to me are not in that way or don't identify that way, and often will say that I shouldn't speak about this or that from the pulpit. And I'll often go back to sermons of rabbis that I grew up with who were decidedly much less liberal than me, who spoke at though in over almost every weekend about politics. That was all they talked about. So. Be that as it may, it is also true that the Torah is not only understood politically, but also psycho-spiritually. Here in the Roman community and in other places, we read the political narratives often, not only as something happening out there in the world, but happening in here in this world. That there are Pharaohs, without a doubt, decidedly real people who still live amongst us. And they're also, it is equally true, As Rabbi Jill Hammer has said many times from the pulpit here at Romamu, and as our Rebbe's and Hasidic teachers have said, that the entire Torah is also an allegory to the soul. What's happening inside of me and you? And both of those things are true. This morning we're going to look at a piece of Torah that is decidedly personal but also political. It has a little bit of both. I want you to open up, for open up, to page 362 open up to open up the Aliyah that is coming up that is page 362 and we're going to engage in a about a 15 minute teaching slash exploration of a seemingly superfluous piece of the text. That's always, right, everybody here knows what, what Ingber likes to say. Whenever you have anything extra in Torah, it's, it's a, called Midrashic moment, right? Midrashic moment right we do that every week nidrashik moment right so we have a piece of text that is seemingly irrelevant and unnecessary and we're going to we're going to focus in ready ready Vayom adonai El-Mosheh verse 16 hashkem ba'vokeh bitza'ev lebeneh parok wake up early in the morning and stand before pharaoh Hinei, behold, yotzei hamaima. He is yotzei. It's a very strong Hebrew word. What does yotzei mean? Exiting. He's exodusing. He's on the way out to the waters. Yotzei. In the English, it doesn't fully capture that. So if you're following the English too, no problem. It says coming out. But the Hebrew word, the is the very word of exodus. We are all Yotzei Mitzrayim. It has valence for those who are right, listening to the text. He's going out to the waters. What are the waters? The Nile. And there stand before Pharaoh. He gets save, like be firm. The Amar that say to him, God says, set my people so they may serve me, right? That they're serving you now but I want them to serve me if you don't send them then I will send you insects right this is the fourth plague and we're gonna read that as well it'll be a horrible plague but the Midrashic moment here is on why does God have to tell Moses to meet Pharaoh by the waters of the Nile no fewer than four of the ten plagues had this preamble or this instruction from God to Moses and the Torah feels it necessary to let us know that God tells Moses to wake up early and get yourself over the water and what we explored in this morning's open book and which is relevant here is that at least for two commentators the location is not all that relevant except to tell us Where to find Pharaoh? God just says, wake up early and go find Pharaoh by the water. He happens to be a king. Kings go to the water. It's very relaxing. It's good for their eyes. A number of different interpretations. They like to be there and get their thoughts together. Think about what it's like to be Pharaoh. They go to their big resort towns in Florida and, you know, know, whatever it is, where Pharaohs like to go, go find him there. For one commentator, as we discussed this morning, the reason to be there is in order to give Moses the best possible PR possibility. Because the people need to see Moses standing up to Pharaoh and delivering this powerful critique and rebuke. Says Nachmanides Ramban, he needs to stand before Pharaoh with a fist raised up and say, let my people go, I say in the name of truth, love, and justice. But then the Midrash comes along, and here's where we're gonna open up the next twelve minutes. Midrash comes along and says, No, you really what's going on is this, and get this, everybody, because this is rated. I don't know what we should rate this. PG 13, we called this, I think it was you called this the pooping denial or denial of pooping. Whatever the denial, I'll own that. Says the Midrash, Pharaoh. The location of Pharaoh by the Nile is significant and not superfluous because it's a Midrashic moment to tell us this. Pharaoh, every morning, made his way down to the Nile. And nobody was to know that's where he was. Because, says the Midrash, Pharaoh did something very important down by the Nile. What did he do? He went to the bathroom. He went down to the Nile, says Midrash, Rabbah in order to relieve himself. And God tells Moses, go find Pharaoh relieving himself. And then the Midrash records this conversation. Says Pharaoh to Moses. This is amazing. Let me go. Literally, let me go. Let me go. He says to him, let me go. Hanachli. Hanachli, let me be. She said Sorchi, I have to do my needs. That's the rabbinic language for going to the bathroom is my needs. Sorchi. Right? She called My needs. I have needs. Moses says back to him, I wish we could play it out. So maybe Moses be Pharaoh. Moses says back. Moses says to him, Oh, and then do you have needs? Pharaoh. You know, in Yiddish, of course. Of course, I have needs. Moshe, I didn't know you speak Yiddish. And also, aren't you a God? And gods don't have needs. Pharaoh, who told you that I'm a God? Moshe, are you crazy? It's everywhere. You put it up on every billboard. Your picture is everywhere. You have pictures in your bathroom. You have pictures. You're, you're the God of Egypt. You said so yourself. Pharaoh. Really? But who did I tell? This is the end of the conversation. Motion. You told the Egyptians. Pharaoh. What, them? They're a bunch of donkeys. End of scene. Says Aviva Zornberg, Pharaoh is the prototype of the pathology of arrogance. The point is forcefully expressed through the fear of vulnerability that lies at the heart of his arrogance. The fear of vulnerability that lies at the heart of his arrogance. He denies his own mortality. And in terms of inner body imagery, it means that he is non-porous. Nothing gets in and nothing gets out. Like the child who first discovers their own fallibility and becomes a philosopher of the human condition, Pharaoh must be causa sui, to use Spinoza's phrase. He must be, I made myself. I am the self-made human. The Uroboros, in Eric Noman's history of consciousness. I eat my own tail. I have no beginning and no end. I have no needs. Because to have needs is to be vulnerable. I must be a rock. I'm an island. God says to Moshe, go meet Pharaoh by the Nile to witness his humanity and to let him know the jig is up. And in so doing... He undoes Pharaoh's, right? Wizard of Oz wants to be discovered because he's lost too. In his own blindness, his own arrogance, he thinks he can do it on his own. He thinks he has powers that he does not. Every addiction is a pathology of the will. And to fashion yourself a god when really you're just a mere mortal, you have needs. The ultimate expression of our deepest strength is that we need. So everybody, what's it like for you when you act like God? What's it like for you, for me, for us, when we think we can do it all by ourselves? Or when we have to hide how deeply vulnerable we are? So the exercise is itself the answer I'm asking you to be vulnerable. Now, what's it like for you? How do you hide where it is that you have to go hide and do your needs? How hard is it for you to to let somebody see the little room you go to to say, I'm lonely because I can't call up a friend and say, I really need you. So, inviting you to open up. For the open up, as we've opened up, how closed Pharaoh was and needed to open up. Can anyone open up? Meaning, Pharaoh was closed. He couldn't say, I have needs. So we've opened up, and the part of the Torah is telling us to open Pharaoh up. To open up that part of us that says, I have to hide how deeply vulnerable I am, and I'm asking you to open up and say, where do you hide that vulnerability? How do you hide? In what ways, if I were to be in, if you were to be in the story, and God would say, Ingrid, go wake up to talk to Peter, because he's going to be over here. What would that look like for you? Allegra. This is
1: sort of that, but it's where I open up. It tends to be at the Shabbat table with friends when that question is posed of how was your week or what did you take away from the sermon that those are the moments that my hidden opens up
0: mm. okay so being with a group of friends who actually make an invitation for you to, to, to share something becomes a possibility coming out of right. but where do you make yourself where are you vulnerable and have a hard time admitting it let me make it cleaner Where are you vulnerable and have a hard time admitting it, even maybe to yourself, but certainly in front of a group of 120, 150, 200 people might be a good place. Yeah, Linda. Rebecca, I'm sorry, Rebecca. Because you got it all together. Sure. Put on, that face. Put on that face. Put on that face. So Sam was saying, sometimes in business, in the world of business, and we can readily get this in a world where, you know, to some degree, the ethos, and you're, you're reading it right. I mean, sometimes you're reading the situation correctly, that vulnerability, it's not safe to be vulnerable here, and to, to kind of show that I don't have it all together, that I don't have all the answers, um, and certainly that, that also is painful in a way, because... Um, it's a risk. It would be risky for Pharaoh to admit that he has to go to the bathroom. It would be risky for Pharaoh to acknowledge that he too right, doesn't have it all together. And sometimes, by the way, this is a tricky one, sometimes leaders are, you know, have to, I'm not using Pharaoh here as an example, but there's a certain level of transparency that is too much at times when you're concerned. I mean, I was hearing, again, back to Dave Chappelle, was making fun of our current Chief, I can't even say that word, but like that, there are times when you're on the plane where you want to look at the stewardess and see that she's not sweating because there's turbulence, right? (laughs) Right, as soon as her lip starts to to sweat, you think, Okay, something is going on here. Um, and so there are times where wearing right the having to hold back your fear or your concerns or your vulnerability is important, and, and how to navigate that, but here certainly it could be. An example of, like, I can't admit that I don't have the answer. I can't admit that, that uh, right, there you go. Anybody else? Yeah, over here, Evelyn. Sometimes you want to say, I need, and I'm afraid you're so, not going to get the need. Right, so, and it's not gonna come. right, and how about for you? Well, I was just going to call my daughter and tell her that I need certain things, and it's very hard because I'm afraid that she'll think I'm too needy. Right, so there's a fear of being too needy. So here you are. I, don't want, I'm, I want to call my daughter and tell her that I need something, but I'm afraid that if she hears that, she'll say you're too needy, and then you've opened up, and wow, how painful is it to open up and then get shot down. And I do it every Friday night, every Saturday morning. I, t- I come home and I say to myself, I can't believe I did it again. I put myself out there. I'm teaching, and who knows? My wife's like, you're crazy. I would never do that. It's like you put yourself out there. I have a friend who called, um, dear, dear friend, who called me to give me bad news this week. Um, This person um, is going in for surgery in a week. And the only thing this person could say to me was, make sure not to tell anyone. I don't want them to worry about me. And I thought, on the one hand, how noble. On the other hand, how sad. To live in a culture where, um, and again, privacy, I get privacy, and you don't want people knocking on your door. I get it. There are plenty of good reasons not to want the whole world to know about something. Trust me. On the other hand, I kept thinking, I wish you could feel that people supporting you. I wish you could feel that you weren't a burden by having this need because what a blessing you would give to other people to be able to support you now in your time. take a couple more, and then we're going to, yeah.
1: and what's going to enable us to take care of ourselves so that we can take then take care of other people we are available in a way to make change. And when we're struggling with our own needs and when we're not able to get past that, how can we even begin to letting somebody else go? Um, enabling someone else's uh, progression and liberation. So, you know, maybe we need to be a little sympathetic to Sarah, the curious first thing in the morning and
0: Ah, so to read it that way, I see. So so you're reading the encroachment of Moses on his space as kind of, uh, okay, interesting. But I, I, I want to lift up other pieces here, which is um, the sense that I- the beauty of this Midrash is that it focuses on the need someone has to, to, to let go, and how hard it is to let go, right? Freud's version of anality in the stage of, of, right, the anal stage, that there's a need for control, but also there's also a need to be able to let go. Right? And that nothing can be re-assimilated. We can't actually, transformation can't happen unless we can take in and make room for the new. Right? There's no new, nothing new in Pharaoh's world. Everything that was there is still there. right Until he's able to let go, right, there won't be possibility of new and he's holding on and right pooping a piece of big deal right meaning an awareness of the boundaries that are required for me to be able to let down my guard right if there's always if there's constantly a sense that that I can't that I'm never safe enough to let go then I live in a world of of fear and right and by the way it's not hard to read Pharaoh sympathetically I think that again I think we often Right? We, we blame Pharaoh, but there maybe is no more pathetic character in the five books of Moses than the pathetic character of Pharaoh who is so obstinate and so constipated that he's going to die, that his own son will die. He won't wake up until the tragedy is in his own, own heart. Right? The Akedah, Pharaoh's Akedah. Never thought about that way, but like Pharaoh, right, is not willing to listen and heed God until the point where, right, his own family suffers, his own health, right? Like we, and we know people like this. How many people can't let go of a habit that is killing them and their lives? Like, I mean, it's, we know people like this. We know people who have to hit rock bottom. Pharaoh has to hit rock bottom before he gets himself to a Pharaoh's anonymous meeting in a local chapter. Yes. Right. So so what is lifting up here is like in her own life, you have had health issues and how hard it is to ask for someone else to help you because of, right, that, you know, you have to acknowledge that you need someone else. And like, it's, Pharaoh also has to acknowledge, I need, right, in the, in the Midrash, it's really Pharaoh being able to let go, but in the model of being vulnerable and needing others, right, Pharaoh doesn't need others to be able to let go, but like, you need someone to help you in your life. And being able to admit that is like, or in inability to admit that is kind of like Pharaoh. Right. So being porously powerful. Being porously powerful is the sense that, that if we are, the word appears over and over again in this narrative that Pharaoh is kashet, He's hard. The people work, avoda, kasha. But the Tao Te Ching says that the soft will overcome the hard. Right? The soft will overcome the hard. The porous, right? The one who is able to receive and then give. The one who is receiving and giving. Like Moses himself, who is from the water and is constantly struggling with his own vulnerabilities, his own weakness, his own insufficiencies, his own neediness. I need help. He gets Aaron. He can't even speak without Aaron helping him. Moshe's vulnerability is exactly the very thing that makes him a desirable leader, that he acknowledges his limitations, what he can't do on his own. And he gets himself in trouble when he tries to do it on his own, and that's when Yitro comes along and says, you can't do it on your own. You need help. So this morning's open up, you know, this morning's open up is a call to vulnerability. If Brene Brown were here, it would be a kind of for her, the sake of vulnerability, the courage to be porous, the courage to be vulnerable, to be limited, the courage to be able to say verbally, maybe first acknowledge internally and then say outwardly, I need help, can someone help me? I can't do this by myself. Maybe actively to search out for some support and say to somebody, you know, every time I work this way, this is where this is how I become, I act like a God. And then I become shut in to my own expectation of perfection. I'm Rebecca, I'm like, I'm the one who knows. I'm the expert. Now I can't let you know that I don't know. I can't let you know. I got it all together. I'm the leader, I'm the mother, I'm the father, I'm the brother, I'm the sister, I'm the daughter, I'm the coach, I'm the rabbi, I'm the, I got it all. But to be able to say, Acknowledge when we go into that place of oh, I can't admit that I don't got this. I don't. I want to call people up for that. If that speaks to you this morning, stand by the Nile together with Pharaoh and Moshe here this morning for the the non denial of our vulnerability. Come up for the first Aliyah, open up.